Chapter Four of Indian Boyhood by Charles Eastman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An Indian Sugar Camp. With the first March thaw, the thoughts of the Indian women of my childhood days turned promptly to the annual sugar making. This industry was chiefly followed by the old men and women and the children. The rest of the tribe went out upon the spring fur hunt at this season, leaving us at home to make the sugar. The first and most important of the necessary utensils were the huge iron and brass kettles for boiling. Everything else could be made, but these must be bought, begged, or borrowed. A maple tree was felled and a log canoe hollowed out, into which the sap was to be gathered little troughs of basswood and birchen basins were also made to receive the sweet drops as they trickled from the tree as soon as these labors were accomplished we all proceeded to the bark sugar-house which stood in the midst of a fine grove of maples on the bank of the minnesota river we found this hut partially filled with the snows of winter and the withered leaves of the preceding autumn and it must be cleared for our use in the meantime a tent was pitched outside for a few days occupancy the snow was still deep in the woods with a solid crust upon which we could easily walk for we usually moved to the sugar-house before the sap had actually started the better to complete our preparations my grandmother worked like a beaver in these days or rather like a muskrat as the indians say for this industrious little animal sometimes collects as many as six or eight bushels of edible roots for winter only to be robbed of his store by some of our people if there was prospect of a good sugaring season she now made a second and even a third canoe to contain the sap these canoes were afterwards utilized by the hunters for their proper purpose during our last sugar-making in minnesota before the outbreak my grandmother was at work upon a canoe with her axe, while a young aunt of mine stood by. We boys were congregated within the large oval sugar-house, busily engaged in making arrows, for the destruction of the rabbits and chipmunks, which we knew would come in numbers to drink the sap. The birds also were beginning to return, and the cold storms of March would drive them to our door. I was then too young to do much except look on, but i fully entered into the spirit of the occasion and rejoiced to see the bigger boys industriously sharpen their arrows resting them against the ends of the long sticks which were burning in the fire and occasionally cutting a chip from the stick in their eagerness they paid little attention to this circumstance although they well knew that it was strictly forbidden to touch a knife to a burning ember suddenly loud screams were heard from without and we all rushed out to see what was the matter it was a serious affair my grandmother's axe had slipped and by an upward stroke nearly severed three of the fingers of my aunt who stood looking on with her hands folded upon her waist as we ran out the old lady who had already noticed and reproved our carelessness in regard to the burning embers pursued us with loud reproaches and threats of a whipping this will seem mysterious to my readers but is easily explained by the indian superstition which holds that such an offence as we had committed is invariably punished by the accidental cutting of someone of the family my grandmother did not confine herself to canoe-making she also collected a good supply of fuel for the fires 
for she would not have much time to gather wood when the sap began to flow presently the weather moderated and the snow began to melt the month of april brought showers which carried most of it off into the minnesota river now the women began to test the trees moving leisurely among them axe in hand and striking a single quick blow to see if the sap would appear the trees like people have their individual characters some were ready to yield up their life-blood while others were more reluctant now one of the birchen basins was set under each tree and a hardwood chip driven deep into the cut which the axe had made from the corners of this chip at first drop by drop then more freely the sap trickled into the little dishes it is usual to make sugar from maples but several other trees were also tapped by the indians from the birch and ash was made a dark-coloured sugar with a somewhat bitter taste which was used for medicinal purposes the box elder yielded a beautiful white sugar whose only fault was that there was never enough of it a long fire was now made in the sugar-house and a row of brass kettles suspended over the blaze the sap was collected by the women in tin or birchen buckets and poured into the canoes from which the kettles were kept filled the hearts of the boys beat high with pleasant anticipations when they heard the welcome hissing sound of the boiling sap each boy claimed one kettle for his especial charge it was his duty to see that the fire was kept up under it to watch lest it boil over and finally when the sap became syrup to test it upon the snow dipping it out with a wooden paddle so frequent were these tests that for the first day or two we consumed nearly all that could be made and it was not until the sweetness began to pall that my grandmother set herself in earnest to store up sugar for future use she made it into cakes of various forms in birchen moulds and sometimes in hollow canes or reeds and the bills of ducks and geese some of it was pulverized and packed in rawhide cases being a prudent woman she did not give it to us after the first month or so except upon special occasions and it was thus made to last almost the year around the smaller candies were reserved as an occasional treat for the little fellows and the sugar was eaten at feasts with wild rice or parched corn and also with pounded dried meat coffee and tea with their substitutes were all unknown to us in those days every pursuit has its trials and anxieties my grandmother's special tribulations during the sugaring season were the upsetting and gnawing of holes in her birch-bark pans the transgressors were the rabbit and squirrel tribes and we little boys for once became useful in shooting them with our bows and arrows we hunted all over the sugar camp until the little creatures were fairly driven out of the neighborhood occasionally one of my older brothers brought home a rabbit or two and then we had a feast the sugaring season extended well into april and the returning birds made the precincts of our camp joyful with their songs i often followed my older brothers into the woods although i was then but four or five years old upon one of these excursions they went so far that i ventured back alone when within sight of our hut i saw a chipmunk sitting upon a log and uttering the sound he makes when he calls to his mate 
how glorious it would be i thought if i could shoot him with my tiny bow and arrows stealthily and cautiously i approached keeping my eyes upon the pretty little animal and just as i was about to let fly my shaft i heard a hissing noise at my feet there lay a horrid snake coiled and ready to spring forgetful that i was a warrior i gave a loud scream and started backward but soon recollecting myself looked down with shame although no one was near however i retreated to the inclined trunk of a fallen tree and there as i have often been told was overheard soliloquizing in the following words i wonder if a snake can climb a tree i remember on this occasion of our last sugar-bush in minnesota that i stood one day outside of our hut and watched the approach of a visitor a bent old man his hair almost white and carrying on his back a large bundle of red willow or kinnikinick which the indians use for smoking he threw down his load at the door and thus saluted us you have indeed perfect weather for sugar-making it was my great-grandfather cloud man whose original village was on the shores of lakes calhoun and harriet now in the suburbs of the city of minneapolis he was the first sioux chief to welcome the protestant missionaries among his people and a well-known character in those pioneer days he brought us word that some of the peaceful sugar-makers near us on the river had been attacked and murdered by roving ojibways this news disturbed us not a little for we realized that we too might become the victims of an ojibway war-party therefore we all felt some uneasiness from this time until we returned heavy-laden to our village End of chapter four